0: I'd like to, um, you know, I'd like for us to think about again some occasions for for gratitude. And uh, I remember actually preparing for this message. Now, I was um, it was months ago. I had hoped that I would have the privilege of being able to share possibly on the last piece of the gratitude series. And I still recall the moment where, in a place of very significant discouragement, I was hurting. I was suffering. And I realized I didn't know how to suffer. I was not good. At, I'm not good at suffering. I, real, I came to that conclusion. Uh, I don't know how many of us are, but I know I'm really not. And any illusions were broken. And I was sitting there in that, I remember, just at a table and I said, Lord, what, what you know, I've, I've preached oh, hundreds of messages on thankfulness, gratitude. The texts are, you know, there's some that come immediately to my mind. What, what, what should I think about? And I remember just sitting there, and I had, I had my Bible open, and I was thinking, and all of a sudden, this parable came to my mind. And uh, I went and looked it up, and I started reading it. And I want to share it with you. And um, I think you'll see why. I'll share that as well, why it stood out to me. But again, the context of where I was at when I, when I read this and thinking about this moment makes this very real to me. So I'm going to go back. This is a parable. This is a story that Jesus taught. Um, he, he often used parables as a way to illustrate truth and to be able to break through uh, sometimes intellectual blockage because he noticed that, I think he knew this, but he noticed that we learn best through story because it has something to do with the way we're created and our capacity for imagination. And so Jesus was a master storyteller. Ter- teller, and when we talk about parables, we're talking about stories that he gave to open up things to people who would otherwise not be able to comprehend them or might have a blockage. And they st- it still works. Uh, the, the power of story, but let's look at his story. It says, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. So that sets the context immediately, that they were righteous and despised others. So his big part of his purpose here was to highlight a particular issue that concerned him. It wasn't just to indict people who tended towards self-righteousness. I think when we think of Jesus interacting with the Pharisees, our first assumption is that he was putting them in their place, which is what really religious righteous people who are self-righteous need to be, have happen to them. And certainly that's the dominant way in which it's talked about. And it's true there were moments, Matthew 23 is a great example, but there were moments where Jesus did that because he was, he was angry with them. But a lot of times what Jesus did is actually he was trying to get through to them. We forget that Even though he was frustrated with them, it didn't mean that he didn't care for them. He knew their heart was actually inclined towards God, but they had gotten off track into this this kind of sense that they were the ones that had it all down, and they were very righteous about that, and to a degree that they started losing the most important, essential things about God, which can happen. Let me go on. It says that they trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and they despised others. They, they looked down on people. And, these, and then, he, then Jesus creates this beautiful picture. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. Now, if he was talking in our vernacular, you know what he would say? Two men went to church. They went to church. They went to pray. And one of them was a Pharisee. He was one of the two. The Pharisees were one of the two preeminent Religious parties of Jesus' day, the Pharisee was the most meticulously committed to the law and to the service of God. And then Jesus says there was one man who went up, he was a Pharisee, and there was another man who went up, and he was a tax collector. He's also known in the older version, they sometimes would call that a publican. A tax collector was not someone who was highly esteemed in, in Jesus' day. I mean, nobody likes to pay taxes. But when it's a foreign government that's collecting them from you, you seethe with resentment. And tax collectors, they were people who worked for Rome, but they were Jewish. So they were viewed as traitors. They were viewed as traitors to their own people. You you represent a foreign government and you collect taxes and use the authority of Rome to enforce it. But that's not all. Tax collectors were notorious For if they were going to be hated, they might as well be hated and rich. And they would collect what they were supposed to collect and a little bit more. And Rome blinked because it's the way it worked in the system. But as a result, they were both despised, resented, and um, oftentimes wealthy. And think about this. One of Jesus' disciples, Matthew, had been a tax collector. Now, we say that because Jesus uses these two examples. One, a very righteous man, um, and the other, a, p- a tax collector, despised. But then look what he does. He paints this picture. He says, the Pharisee stood, and he, pray- and he invites us to just kind of imagine with our mind's eye. The Pharisee stood, and he prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you. I thank you that I, I am not like other men. I'm not like extortioners or the unjust or the adulterers. And then he gazed over and he saw the task collector or even like that task collector over there. Oh, you know what I do? I fast twice a week. I I give tithes of all that I possess. And by the way, a tithe is a tenth. It's the right thing to do. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 23, these things ought you to have done. I tithe. I've tithed all my life. Since I had a paper route, I tithed. I believe in it strongly. But this man had made it a point, uh, a point in which he, he saw himself as better than everybody else. It was part of the, the collective testimony to his self-righteousness or his righteousness. And then, and then he says, as this Pharisee is praying, he says, the task collector standing afar off. And I tried again, I tried to think, standing afar off. The task collector standing afar off would not so much as even, and he was far, so there, were, there was a distance between them, and Jesus paints it, but he wouldn't even, it says he wouldn't even lift his head up to heaven. He felt so ashamed, and Jesus said he, he has his head down, and he's like, he's, he's beating himself, and he's, and, he, and, and he's saying, Lord, have mercy. He's, have mercy on me. I am a sinner, right? He's, there's this, this sense of, Jesus gives us this picture he's really right i i i need your mercy it's powerful and it says that as he beat his breast saying god be merciful to me i am a sinner i tell you jesus said this man went down to his house with his prayer answered justified rather than the other For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. At the core, this this parable is about need recognition. You see it? It's about mm, what moves God. You want to know what moves God? It's right here. One seems to be saying... God, I'm so good. I know you need me. And the other is saying, God, I need you. What a contrast. God, you need me? God, I need you. God, look how good I am. God, I'm nothing. Be merciful to me. This is the contrast. And so at the parable, I, 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 <laughs> I remember looking at this parable. You say, well, what does this have to do with gratitude? And the reason it originally caught my mind when I was looking at it was I go, oh, there's gratitude in this, in this passage. There's a prayer of thankfulness in this passage. And, and it was the first time I ever connected it to thanksgiving. I go, wow, look at it. Yeah, look, it says here that the Pharisee stood and he prayed with himself, God, I thank you. But it was the thankfulness of arrogance. It was warped gratitude. But it was thankfulness. And so amid, I go, wow, that, that, there, there's, a, there's an expression of thankfulness that is odious to God. And then I couldn't help it. I was caught I was caught in the moment. You know how you're reading God's word and all of a sudden there's a moment where something hits you, which is why it's important to read his words as much as we can on a regular basis with an idea to being open to the new things he wants to say to us through passages sometimes new and sometimes very familiar. But our life is constantly changing. And depending on the season we're in, the word has a power that is unique for it. And I remember sitting there, and I was sitting with this, and I was, I was in the context that I was in. I was hurting, I, I felt. And all of a sudden, I found my heart resonating with, the, with the, the, the task collector, with the one who had obtained mercy. And I found my heart filling with gratitude. Like, Lord, have mercy. I, I felt, I, Lord, have mercy on me. I just, and, and, and this, you know, I'll say this. However we get there, one of the upsides to failing is that it gives us the opportunity to experience God's incredible mercy from a broken place. It, to me, uh, that's like if there is any upside to messing up, you know, or being less than what we think we should be, I don't, I don't, however we frame it. One of the real upsides, and if you've never known it, if you've never known what it's like to appeal to God from a broken place, and they say, <clears throat> "Have mercy on me, Lord," it's one, and then to receive it, he walked away justified. To receive it, <sighs> to know it—it's it. The to receive mercy from a broken place, the mercy that's always connected to humility that moves God to respond as Jesus just taught us. When we come humble, we receive that mercy. When we receive mercy, it's almost impossible not to be grateful. And so the the occasion, and if I can just put this up and just get us to think about it, one of the best occasions for gratitude is when when we're on the other side of mercy, when we experience God's mercy at a personal level. It's so good. You know, there are some things we cannot change. There are some things we cannot walk back. There are some things we cannot deny. We would like to blame others. There are some things we have to live with that strips away our pride, that breaks us. But if we're willing to humble ourselves, if we're willing to be like the publican in Jesus' story, like the task collector here, sincerely appeal to him and we're honest with him, listen, about flaws, some of us are struggling. It's a big deal for us to even get to the Lord's house. Sometimes it's hard to get to the Lord's house, especially when we're not doing well. You say, well, why would that be? Isn't that the time we would want to be there the most? Yes, but we feel ashamed. Feel like we've blown it. Whatever it is. Struggles, flaws, sins, contradictions. When we come to him honestly, here's the beauty of the kingdom of Jesus. When we come to him honestly, we will be stunned, overwhelmed by, by how low He is willing to go with us. He he will... He resists the proud, and he gives what to the humble? Grace to the humble. You come in low, he'll meet us. Come in high, we're on our own. Christmas reminds us that the one who saved us came low into this world. Born in a stable... Every Christmas Eve, I like to think about it. Amongst the muck and the waste, foul and damp. And he went even lower to cover our sins, naked and hung, splayed out for all the world to see. And when we're on the receiving end of that grace and experience what we know we don't deserve, see, everybody talks about, why doesn't God give me what I deserve? Thank God he doesn't give us what we deserve. (laughs) If he only gave us what we deserved, we'd never get grace, and we would never have mercy. Mercy, when it's what we didn't deserve, will break our heart. It will break our heart. And there are times when if, if you do this right, it will make you cry. You will be like that man. Lord have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. And he will. That's why I think it Jesus would later on he say, listen. The one who has been forgiven much loves much. There is a blessing in being forgiven an intimacy that comes. Second occasion for gratitude, I was thinking about it, again, this is very personal to me, was when we experienced God's faithfulness. Uh, in Hebrews, and this passage is in your handout, 13, and there's a couple of verses. Hebrew, actually, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 became very important verses to me at a particular season in my um, six to seven month period of just walking through uh, what I have walked through, and I I found these two verses to be extraordinarily helpful. I'll share more if the Lord allows me to do in the months ahead, somewhere around there, about how to interface the Lord's words as a strengthening mechanism when we're in a very challenging place, I mean, how to do it, and, um, but that, Part of that, for me, was holding on to a couple of key pl- passages of Scripture and adopting them as my, my, my Scripture for the season, as it were. And one of them was in Hebrews 13, 5. And to, to appreciate 5 and 6, the, 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 you know, the first part of the verse I didn't use, so it was kind of 5b and 6, but I, I, I think it's important to read the front end of it. And so let me just read this, and then I want you to think about it for a moment. Now, I want you to, okay, when we read verse 5, And six, see if you can appreciate the juxtaposition of what is happening in these verses. What he's trying to say, really. The first part he says is, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. That's an interesting statement. It's a great statement. And I don't believe it's anti-ambition, by the way. Contentment is not to be confused with passive resignation. But it is saying... That there is something about the love of money that is unhealthy. It could even be toxic. And that there is something life-giving in finding peace with whatever situation we find ourselves in. Because then, now notice what he follows up that statement with. It's not a coincidence. Watch what happens. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said... I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, why why put those two right behind the other? What's going on there? Let that sink in for a moment. What do you see? What the verse is saying is that everything depends on where we find our security. It's a contrast. If... What are you saying is this? When we get it, man, we really get it. If we have God... We have something more secure than anything money could ever buy. Wow. God is with us. That's what Emmanuel, is, that's what Christmas, that's. God is with us and he will not forsake, you, forsake us. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will not turn my back on you. In an age of abandonment and broken promises, Everywhere, we have, many of us have been affected by them, and we have also affected others by that choices as well. In an age of abandonment, in an age of broken commitments, here is one who will stick with us, walk with us. When money can do no more for us, he abides and makes the journey with us. In the day of disappointment, he is there. In the season of despair, when everything seems lost and we have lost heart, he is there. In the season of bitter defeat, he is there. When we are suffering, bewildered, bereft of our joy, he is there. In the valley of the shadow, when we're scared, alone, and afraid, he is there. When we're crushed by regrets, he is there. When we're abandoned by someone we love, he is there. When we're at death's door, he is there. When we breathe our last last breath, he is there. When we step into glory, he is there. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So, look what follows. So, we may say confidently, the way I memorize it, so we may say with confidence that God is my helper. I will not be afraid. Hammer it in. God is my helper, I will not be afraid. God is my helper, I will not be afraid. (laughs) For what can man do to me? Everything and nothing. Our fear, his faithfulness, what will it be? Which one will we yield to? Lay hold of, claim as our own. Fear, the enemy of so, (laughs) the enemy that so many of us struggle with especially in our dark places, difficult times. It's interesting because the writer of Hebrews is actually quoting, you see this? He's quoting in this verse from the Older Testament. And he's actually quoting from Deuteronomy 3, 6, 31, 6 through 8, and that's also in your hand. I just want to show you real quick. It's kind of good to see the real context of this verse. Look, what it, look where it is connected to. Just read it through real fast. It says, be strong and have strength of heart. This is the words. These are the words that were given to Joshua by Moses on the edge of the land of promise. And Moses was reminding him, because Moses was not going to be there to do it. And Moses was reminding Joshua, who was now going to be stepping forward, not to be afraid of the foes that awaited him. It was the land of promise. But every time they got it, they had to take a step of faith. Every, I'm going to give you everything, but you've got to step forward. It's yours. Step forward. You have to do it, though. If you don't step, it won't be yours. That's a choice. Now, he, so look what, he said, look what happens here. It says that be, he tells him, Joshua, be strong. Have strength of heart. Do not be afraid or shake with fear because of them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will be faithful to you. He will not leave you alone. And then Moses called Joshua and he said to him in front of all of Israel, be strong, be strong and have strength of heart for you will go with this people into the land the Lord has promised to their fathers to give them and you will bring them in to take it and the Lord is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will be faithful to you and will not leave you alone. Do not be afraid or troubled. The reason he had to say it is because Joshua was struggling with his fear. Is there anything right now that's intimidating us? As we bring this year to an end, preparing for a new one around the bend. Is there a promise that God has placed into our life or we are sensing he's beginning to place into our life that he's asking us to begin to pursue, to possess? And are we tempted to panic, to be afraid, to be discouraged? Remember, the Lord is with us. God is with us. Even when we are unfaithful, he, even when we're unfaithful, unable, less than loyal. He is faithful. He is able. He is loyal. Hallelujah. How grateful that should make us. How grateful that should make us. So that's an occasion for gratitude. Last thing I was thinking about Well, I'll do do two real quick. These will be short, er, (laughs) (laughs) fan. I'm going to ask them to do it. Third occasion for gratitude is is when we experience community, Okay. I can tell you, now I'm going to speak really honestly. Don't you always speak honest? Mm -hmm. Yes, (laughs) but sometimes more forthrightly than others. As a pastor for the three decades or so, I've been, was accustomed to giving. Not that I'm like the great giver, but my role has been to give encouragement, to give you know, exhortation, encouragement in the word, to try to give an example. This is the, to sort of give direction as best as I could to, to allow us to grow as a people. Giving, giving into community. Got a lot out of it, but giving. And this is the first time in my life I ever had to be on the receiving end. Really, long, I couldn't remember. Needed love, encouragement, prayer, relational consistency in love, got it all. When you experience, the community of Jesus, It, it's off the charts, a gift, one of the real blessings of building relationships in Christ Jesus in a local church. Even as we move increasingly into our digital age where so much of our communications, that's going to happen with our church as well. We're going to continue to move into that direction and expand our, our reaches. But that, It doesn't change the need for one-on-one interaction. You know what? Intimacy still requires someone to see into me, into me see. And we have to forge out safe places. We can't do that like that. It's a product of investment in relationships that allows us to have a safety zone to be able to share our heart or to be able to receive something. When the body of Christ, and I'm not the first to say it, but when the body of Christ is working in a local expression the way it's supposed to, there is nothing like it in the world. Nothing. So one of the things we can be thankful for is when we experience community. And then, of course, it leads to the last thing for me, which is, and for us, is when we experience Jesus. That's the fourth reason. The fourth occasion for gratitude is when we experience his only son, Jesus. And that's partly what we're doing here at Christmas time. By the way, we're just taking them, the, really, the opportunity to experience Him. Uh, Jesus came to us as a gift. He, the love He modeled, the life He lived and gave away, who, the debt He paid. How can I repay You, Lord? How can I? How can I repay You for the love and the life You give and still give now and always? I cannot. I cannot repay you. All I can do, now we come full circle, all I can do is give you my imperfect life and say, Lord, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. You see? And his love comes all the time. humble path humble path so i'm going to pray but i have one more thing to say about this when we hear the song that we're going to close with the focus is on mercy if there are things in our own heart that we brought in here as we share the song after our time of giving i want you to to just allow the lord if it's possible to just speak to you, speak to you his words of mercy. All right? Just let it let it come in. Let it come in. And, and be intentional about receiving it. Not just observing it, but say, Lord, what are you saying to me? Not just about salvation, but about your ongoing mercy in my life. And what does that mean? What does that mean? What are you saying to me? Are you saying to me to let go of something? Are you saying to me to let go of something? Is there something that I'm holding on to? A shame, perhaps? A feeling of, of failure, perhaps? Uh, a deep-seated disappointment. I don't know, whatever it is. Just be saying, Lord, I am open to your mercy and let it flow in, okay? So I'm gonna pray. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being able to even even modestly represent your heart. Uh, I thank you for your words, which are spirit, and they are life. They are life-altering words, And you will meet us in every place in our life. There is no place you cannot reach. And there is no dark place you will not go if we will humble our heart before you. Because I know, Lord, even though you pull away from the proud, you are irresistibly drawn to humility. May we bow our knee and heart before you as grateful recipients of your mercy and love. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.